uh, welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel and the first of the uh, 2009 opening convention meetings. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say opening convention? Okay, about six or seven. All right. Um, this is... This is a long-standing tradition with the Bible College. During the first two or three weeks of the fall term, we set aside intentional time to recognize not only what God has called us to do, but also to embrace his presence in a new way. Uh, President Harold Graves is going to help us with that this week. Uh, I know you already know who he is, but would you just welcome him anyway? The goal of our meetings is the goal, is the theme for our year. Would you say it with me? We are being transformed into Christ-likeness. That's our focus, that's our aim, stand, and let's sing a song of praise. It is, it is the cry of our heart. You're all we want. All we hope for. All we've ever needed. Pray that you would help us to know you and your all. We continue with our open hearts to you. We anticipate you saying what we need to hear for your sake, for the sake of the kingdom, and for the sake of those who don't know you yet. Your You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you are near. And all of his people said, Amen. Maybe see you. Throw this stick out yonder, you pick it up and fetch it back. Okay? Well, we'll do it again. Go on, boy. Get it. Fetch it, too. Fetch it, fetch it. All right, I'll show you. Just once more now. And you watch. Catch on, Duke. Catch on, boy. Do it once more. Well, good evening. It's nice to be in chapel, isn't it? Mind if I move this here? There we go. Christ likeness. 
when I saw that theme and we discussed the, the idea that I might share a few thoughts about that in opening convention, I asked myself the question, what, what is, what is Christ-likeness? What, what does it say to me? And, uh, you know, how, is, how have I seen that through the years? And uh, three things came to mind, and, and I'm going to look at the first one tonight is a simple obedience. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes, We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul arrives at this position after contrasting the Old and New Covenants. We read this in verses 7 through 11. Now if the Spirit that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? William Barclay points out that the Old Covenant was written down, read to people, and they agreed to it. The New Covenant is based on the power of the life-giving Spirit. A written document is always something that is external, whereas the work of the Holy Spirit changes a man's very heart. A written code can change the law. Only the Spirit can change human nature. It is this life-giving Spirit that transforms us into Christ-likeness. So before we go any further, this truth stands out to me. Christ-likeness is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer. Paul says the Holy Spirit gives witness to the work of God's grace in our hearts. In Romans 8.16 we read, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Dr. John Allen Knight wrote in his book, In His Likeness, The witness of the Spirit is not some esoteric or emotional or mystical experience. It is the communication of God to the man that he is accepted in the beloved. That he is accepted in the beloved. In Hebrews 10, the writer says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First it says, 
This is a covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Knight concludes his book by saying, In his likeness, the legacy of every believer, let us claim our inheritance, walk in obedience and faith, and pray with burning desire, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. A few days ago, I, I made an early run to the Colorado Springs Airport. It was 4.30 in the morning. I was there to catch an early flight. I was waiting for the cafe to open up so that I'd get my morning cup of coffee. I was struggling to keep my eyes open. And then I saw this young soldier. I was struggling to keep my eyes open. He was wide-eyed. I was dragging he had a bounce in his step. I was in a suit. He was in uniform. I looked at him and I said, where are you headed? With a broad smile, he said, I'm going home to Pennsylvania to surprise my fiance. I asked him, where have you been? He said, sir, I just returned from Iraq. How long were you there? Twelve months, sir. We got home last night. I just spent the night here in the airport waiting for the plane to go home. My girl doesn't know I'm home. And with a big smile, he said, I'm going to surprise her today. We moved into the cafe and we placed our order. I got my coffee and he got his coffee in a row. Are you going to stay in the army, I asked. Yes, sir, I'm moving up. He proudly said, as I could see, the sergeant stripes on his uniform. You know, sir, I just go where they tell me to go and do what they tell me to do. It's as simple as that. As we waited on our order, a man with a family, with his family came in. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that this man said to this young soldier, Uncover, soldier. And with that, he reached up and took his hat off. And then I looked at him. I just couldn't help it. I bought his coffee and bought his roll. Thanked him for serving our country. Said good luck. And he said, thank you, sir. Thought about this young man. So bright. So delightful. Such a credit to the uniform and our country. But really what stuck out in my mind that morning was his simple obedience I just go where they send me 
and do what they tell me to do. It's as simple as that. What does Christ-likeness look like? While there are many noteworthy characteristics of Christ-likeness, I want to begin with this one. It's a simple obedience to the will of the Father. Now, simple does not infer easy, uncomplicated, undemanding, or trouble-free. Rather, I use the word in relation to our Lord's straightforward agreement with the will of the Father. Henry Nouwen, in his classic book, Compassion, a reflection on the Christian life, writes, In Jesus Christ, God did not manifest his compassion simply by becoming a suffering servant, but by becoming a suffering servant in obedience. Obedience, he writes, gives servanthood its deepest dimension. You see, Jesus did not go anywhere. He did not say anything. He did not do anything unless the Father guided him. John 6, 38 points this out. He, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. As Jesus faced the cross, he told the disciples gathered in the upper room, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly, exactly what my Father has commanded me to do, commanded me. In Luke 9, 51 we read, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The King James Version uses the word, He steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. The New American Standard says, He was determined to go. In Gethsemane, we hear the cry of our Lord's heart to know and follow the will of the Father at all cost. We hear him praying. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. It's kind of like 9.15 in class. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. You see, to be Christ-like is to have a simple obedience to the will of the Father. No doubt the word obedience conjures up a mixed bag of feelings for us. It does for me. We think of the order to do something when we really don't want to do it. Take out the trash. Well, I really don't want to do that. It's raining outside. 
We think of the authority figure telling us that we should do this for our own good. I never understood it when I got a spanking as a kid that it was for my good I was getting the spanking. We think of the guilt we felt when we did not perform our faith up to others' expectations. So whenever we hear the word obedient, we tend to recoil in a defensive posture, waiting for the hand of discipline to come down upon us. And I can tell you over the years, I've heard a lot of sermons about that. But I like what Nowen writes. He says the word obedience means to listen. Obedience as it is embodied in Jesus Christ is a total listening, a giving attention with no hesitation or limitation, a being all ear. When used by Jesus, the word obedience has no association with fear. But rather, it is the expression of his most intimate, loving relationship. It is the relationship with his caring Father. Simple obedience is informed by trust in God and faith that he desires the very best for our lives. In Luke 12, Jesus I think Jesus really captures this in his words when he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Does that sound like the words of someone who trusted his heavenly Father? Jesus is teaching us that we can trust God. We can put our faith in his will for our lives. He told his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you trust in God, trust also in me. I love the writings of Brennan Manning. 
And in his book, Lion and Lamb, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus, he writes, Childlike surrender and trust, I believe, is the defining spirit of authentic discipleship. The supreme need in most of our lives is often the most overlooked, an unfaltering trust in the love of God, no matter what goes down. Paul put it this way. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Manning continues, the dominant characteristic of an authentic spiritual life is the gratitude that flows from trust and biblical trust grows out of love. My trust in God flows out of the experience of His loving me, day in and day out. Whether the day is stormy or fair, whether I'm sick or in good health, whether I'm in a state of grace or disgrace, He comes to me where I live and loves me as I am. He comes to me where I live and loves me as I am. Tells the story of Edward Farrell, a priest from Detroit who went on a two-week summer vacation to visit his family in Ireland. His only living uncle was celebrating his 80th birthday. On the morning of that birthday, his uncle, they went together for a walk on the lake. The sun was coming up and they stood there in total silence for 20 minutes staring at the sun coming up over the lake. Silence and reverence. The priest was caught up in a sense of spiritual worship with his uncle. As they turned to make their way back to the house, the priest said, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy with a big smile. He said, I am. The priest asked, how come, Uncle Seamus? And his uncle replied, because, Edward, the father of Jesus is very fond of me. I have lived long enough and gathered a sufficient amount of experiences to tell you that life 
is anything but simple. I have had challenging assignments, discouraging events, disparaging critics, and tests of my faith. But at the end of the day, no matter how dark the night, I have had this deep, settled conviction that I can trust the Father of my Lord Jesus. So when I talk to you about simple obedience, talking to you about opening your hearts and arms to the Father and saying, I know, Father, the Father of Jesus, you have my best interests at heart. I know, Father, Father of Jesus, I know that you know the way when I can't see a thing in front of me. I know, Father Jesus, that I can place my hand in yours and trust you with my life. That's simple obedience to the will of the Father who loves you. That is Christ-likeness to me. Now, I believe that we're all here tonight because we have answered that call. We're a unique institution. Everybody in this room, everybody in this room have heard, have, you've heard from God. And you're here because you've put your hand in his hand and you've said, I can trust you. But honey, I've been at this, we've been at this a long time, haven't we? You know? It's, it's, it's been a long time. I, 35, 36 years. I cannot even begin to count. I have lost count of the times that I've had to come and say, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Well, had you backslid? No. Did you give up? No. You think Jesus had lost anything in Gethsemane when he came to the Father and said, I'm just checking, Lord, just checking, Father. I'm just checking if there's any other way. I'll do it, but, you know, if, if this is it, I, I'm, I'm, I'll do it. You know, there just might be some of us here tonight that just might need to say, 
I'm not taking my hand out of your hand. There have been times, Father, where I felt like I was just holding on by the pinky finger. But I held on. And tonight, I just need to get another grip. Hold on. Because above all else, I want to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus is to be obedient to the will of the Father. To have that listening ear and that willful heart to be his. We're going to stand and we're going to sing tonight. Don't be like Jethro's dog. Old Jethro's doing everything he knew to get that dog to go out and just lay there. If God's speaking to you tonight, if he's saying, I just want to do something in your heart tonight, just come on down here and let's pray together. Let's hear from God. Get that firm grip. Say, not your will, but not mine, but yours, Father. Yours be done. Come as we say. Maybe there's someone here that you know that you would just like to come and put your hand on their back. No, they don't pray alone tonight. It'd be neat if everybody had somebody's hand on their back. Wouldn't that be neat? We just pray for each other tonight. pray to the Father of Jesus. Father, your word has reminded us tonight how much you care for us. Your love for us is beyond description. Even our Lord used words to try to illustrate your love and care. We can't begin to comprehend the depth, the breadth, the width of your love. We've all been touched by your love, Father, and we acknowledge that tonight. We have been touched by your love. And it's your love for us that has placed this calling in our hearts and in our lives. So tonight, Father, we just once again say yes to your will. <laughs> because we can trust you. We, we don't know what it means right now. But we know tonight, this night, at this hour, we say to you once again, Father, we trust you. And because of that trust, and because of your incredible love that has transformed our hearts and lives, we will listen and obey and follow your will. 
May your spirit do that within us. May your spirit continue to draw us to you and to lead us in the path that you have laid out for us. Thank you for these, our students. We're so honored. We're so honored to have the privilege of teaching and opening the word to these, your called ones. Meet their every need. Supply their every need. They're yours, Father. They're yours. So wrap them up in your great arms of love and care. Protect them as you lead them. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, tomorrow night, we're going to look at Christ-likeness, a servant heart. And then Thursday night, we're going to look at Christ-likeness, an inclusive spirit. So I trust that you will make every effort to be here those two nights as we look together at these, these important truths about what it means to be like Jesus. Thank you. God bless you. Enjoy class. <laughs>